Our speaker this morning is Marion Frackwitz, and I just want to say a couple things before he, he opens the word for us. He comes to us with impeccable credentials. He has been an evangelical free church pastor since 1985, and most recently he's been a pastor at Skokie Evangelical Free Church for the last 17 years. Um, Marion's been uh, part of our church since uh, last fall, and um, the more important part of his credentials, I think, though, are he's a husband of one wonderful wife, Esther, and uh, father to three wonderful daughters, Tesh, Andrea, and Renee. Um, and I also am proud to say he's part of our ethos community, so you should come join us if you're not in one. And what I wanted to say about that is, is, is Marion's the type of person, when he speaks, people listen. And so I'm grateful to have the opportunity to listen to you as you bring God's word. And please welcome Marion. Thank you. Pleasure to be with you here today. By the way, if you need a Bible, raise your hand, and uh, ushers will give you one. And when the service is finished, you can leave it there in the pew. Um, As I said, it's a pleasure to be here and an honor for a couple of reasons. One is, and I think uh, Skokie people will agree, uh, there's a lot of fine people here that we've met at Evanston Bible Fellowship, and it's, it's a privilege to know you and to learn from you. Uh, secondly, it's a privilege to speak God's word to you, a great responsibility and a great honor, and uh, I'm grateful for that. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 34. We there? Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, or reap, or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, your precious gift to us of guidance and comfort and censure and correction and all the things your word does for us. Uh, Help us to hear it this day that our lives, our hearts might be touched and changed. All to your glory, in the name of Jesus, amen. Uh, Let's remember where we are. We're in Matthew's chapter 5, 6, and 7, commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, That title comes from uh, chapter 5, verse 1, where it says, Jesus was going along, and when he saw the crowds coming, he climbed partway up a mountainside and sat down, the posture of a teacher. And then his disciples came to him, and he taught them. So I think the audience, the the words are directed to 
uh, Jesus' disciples, those who belong to him, with other people listening as well. He's telling his disciples what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, a child of God, how it is that we are to live out our lives in this world as members of the kingdom of God, those of us who name him as Savior and Lord. Uh, back in the either late 60s or right around 1970, uh, John Stott wrote a commentary on this passage called Christian Counterculture. Uh, he wrote that in the wake of all the so-called counterculture of the 60s, and his point is to say this. Um, when you look around you, Christian, here is how the world lives. This is the culture around you. But Christians have a counterculture. We live in a different way. Uh, Christian, when you look around you, you will see people who are merely religious or in some vague way spiritual, and you find a lot of people like that today. He says, but this is how you are to live because you are not vaguely spiritual or you are not religious or you're not re simply adhering to a system or a set of rules or a series of steps or a methodology or you're not just merely drifting along and saying, you know, whatever, um, my life is good, my life is full, I like my life, and I'll add a little religion or spirituality to, to it as, as a garnish on a plate. He says, no, you have named me Jesus Christ, your Lord, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You have decided deliberately and decisively to follow me, who came to save you from your sins. And this is what it means for you who name my name in your life. Now, before we go farther, let me uh, repeat what Jason has said a couple times along the way. The Sermon on the Mount is not the way of salvation. The Sermon on the Mount is not yet another system or another set of rules or another set of requirements that we have to fulfill in order to earn our way to heaven. No, salvation is a free gift. Salvation is because of what Jesus did for us as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And this is how we live. To borrow Paul's words, this is how we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. This is how we live out what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Okay, we have to connect to Jason's message two weeks ago, remember? Because we, we skipped a beat in the Sermon on the Mount here. Uh, two weeks ago, he talked about the previous passage, and if you remember, he talked about two treasures, two kinds of eyes, and two masters. Uh, the two treasures, of course, are, are mainly the material treasures of this world. And Jesus making a point to say, hey, they don't last. Okay? They, they can be stolen. They can be destroyed. They can be ruined by inflation. They can be ruined by economy. The treasures in this world don't last. But the other treasure is the one we store up in heaven that lasts forever. He talked about the two eyes, two kinds of eyes, one eye kind of eye lets in light into our souls and into our beings so that we can see clearly and live the way we ought to live. The other kind of eye locks in the darkness that is inside of it. And then there were the two masters. And I'll read verse 24 because that is the setup for our new passage today. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Not to put it too clearly, huh? Okay, so following that categorical, categorical statement, he says this. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, 
or about your body what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Okay, verse 24 is uh, we decide for God. We choose our master. Both God and money are very demanding masters, but the difference is when we serve God, we get life out of it. Okay? And so to choose him as our master is to reorient our whole thinking about, uh, about possessions and, and life and, and, and everything that, that makes up our daily existence to revise our outlook and Jesus brings us back to the most basic needs of life, and that is in verse 25. Let me read it one more time. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? A couple comments. Statistics. Six times in these verses he uses the word worry. So what's this passage about? Trust. <laughs> Fooled you. <clears throat> Second, the passage Jason talked about two weeks ago was about extra and excess. Okay, I have my necessities. What do I do with my extra? Where do I store it up? In the bank, in CDs, in stock, in whatever? Or do I store it up in heaven? The passage today is talking about Necessities, food, drink, clothing, things that you have to have to keep body and soul together in this world. What kind of people was Jesus talking to that day? I think he was talking to a mix. There were probably a few well-to-do people in that day. There were probably a few middle people who had enough and a little bit extra. But probably the majority of the people um, we're, we're closer to the bottom end, closer to where um, they really could see how they might not have enough for the next day. Uh, people who worked by day, people who depended on the land uh, for their living and all of its uncertainties. Okay. What is the audience Jesus is speaking to this morning? I can't speak about you, but I can tell you that I have more than enough way more than enough. And I imagine most of us in here today do as well. So we have to start thinking backwards a little that no matter how much we have and how good we have it and how blessed we are, remember that life depends on God and what he gives us or what he withholds from us. Okay? He says, you have chosen God as master but he is more than just your master. He is your heavenly father who loves and cares for you. And he wants us to know that. He wants us to believe that with all of our hearts. And by, to, to, to do that, he gives us two illustrations from creation. One animate creation, one inanimate. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Okay. We're talking about birds, right? Birds, okay? They, they live a very short time in this world. Um, they are God's creation. And what God creates, God owns. What God owns, God is responsible for. Now, they, they, you know, they flit around and peck, and you know how birds can move their head real fast and all of that kind of stuff. And if I were younger, I would I'd give it a try. 
but I can't, okay? But God has given them the instinct to peck and to look around and to get seeds and to get berries and to get worms and get whatever it is they do. And God takes care of his creation, even birds. So Jesus argues here, as he often does, from the lesser to the greater, the lesser being birds, are you not much more valuable than they? Now, in one way, we share the same thing with birds. We are God's creation. We are, we are you know, biological things, and, and you know, we eat and drink and that kind of thing. Um, and so we are his creation in that way. But we're different than birds. We are people God has recreated. We are people that God has brought to salvation. We are people that God has made to live forever, not just the two or three or four or five years that a bird lives. We are his children. He, are his, we are, he is our heavenly father, and just as our children to us are infinitely more important than a bird or an animal or even our pet dog, so we are infinitely more important to our Heavenly Father in Heaven. Uh, yes, he takes care of the birds, but he takes special care of those who will live with him forever. Now, isn't this, isn't this painfully obvious? Isn't this painfully obvious? Why does he even have to say that? Well, maybe, maybe that's his question to us. Um, why do I even have to say to you that God, your Heavenly Father, will take care of you? Good question. Why does he need to say that to us? Well, I'll tell you why. I've been a Christian, I can't do the math, 1972. 39 years, right? I've been a Christian 39 years. And I have seen God's provision. I have seen God's guidance. I have seen surprises in my life that I, I could not have dreamed of because of God's provision and guidance in my life. But tomorrow, if something goes wrong to upset my comfort, my groove, my... What do I do? My friend, I, I flail. I, I, I hyperventilate. I say, oh, no, you know, this is bad. This is so bad. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And so it's to people like me, and maybe sometimes like you, he says, you're worth more than birds. My Father in heaven will take care of you. Don't worry. Don't worry. Let me inject current events here. Did you know that the tanking of our economy in the last couple of years has not changed God, has not changed our relationship with God, has not changed our standing in Jesus Christ, has not changed our treasure in heaven. Just a little side note for comfort. Reminds us of what Paul said to Timothy. Tell those who are rich in this world not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, underline, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. 
and tell the rich and tell those who want to be rich and tell those who are poor and have no hope of ever being rich, put your hope in God because he is the one we can trust. Okay, first, first illustration, creation, animate creation, birds. Second illustration, flowers, verses 20, 28 through 30. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Okay, so here we go with the same logic, the same pattern, the same argument from lesser to greater. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Okay, birds are active. They flit around and pack. Flowers are passive. They just stand there. God sends sun. God sends water. God gives them nourishment through the ground. Same thing. God creates the flowers. Therefore, God owns the flowers. Therefore, God is responsible for the flowers. And he seems to do a very good job with them. He says, look at the flowers. And even the simplest flower with its color and its pattern and its symmetry uh, beats any well-dressed man, even if it's Solomon in all his glory. Nine days ago, I was with uh, Esther, my wife, and one of my daughters in Geneva, Geneva, Illinois, not Geneva, Switzerland. Um, my wife and daughters hit the gift shops, and I hit the trail along the river. And so you, go down, you walk along the Fox River, and frankly, this time of year, it's not that nice. It's very, everything is brown and dead. There's a few buds on the trees, but the grass is, you know, like that. Across the footbridge, across the Fox River, and then walked up the row of houses on the other side of the river, on the west side of the river. And same thing, nice houses, but everything, everything is dry and dead and blah. But I came to one house, and suddenly there's white. And there's purple all over the place. I, I think the plants are called snowdrops. They're, they're white, very simple, very pretty. And the purple was crocuses. And for, and for me, when I see my first crocus in the spring, that reminds me, uh, this world will come alive again. You know, what's all, what, six, seven weeks ago, we were knee-deep in snow? And then nine days ago, I see crocus, and I, I suddenly uh, sense more beauty than I have in a long time. And I see how pretty something can be. This purple against all the brown and, and blah and mud and that kind of stuff. And I'm reminded, yeah, God is good. God is alive. God's at work in his creation like he always is. If I drove out there today, none of those flowers would be there. They just come to decorate for a little bit of time. In Jesus' day, in a more desert and more arid part of the world, a flower could bloom in the morning for the first time and then as the cool desert night gives way to the hot desert day and there's a wind in the Middle East called the Sirocco, a hot dry wind, a flower could bloom in the morning and die by nighttime and just have that little short life. So what Jesus is saying is even though it's just there for a very short time, 
Look how I deck it out. Look how I dress it up. Look how beautiful I make it. Okay. Now, same argument. If I do that for a flower, a crocus, or a tulip, or a snowdrop, or what, whatever little... Don't you think I might take care of my children? Don't you think? Okay. So yes, the answer is yes. He says, um, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? That's a nickname, by the way, that Jesus gives to his disciples. And if you read through Matthew and pay attention, you'll see that come up a number of times. O you of little faith. Okay. So then he repeats, verse 31, what he said before. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? To do that is unbecoming for a child of God, a person who calls himself a believer. Okay? It's rather characteristic of an unbeliever who's got to do all the work himself and who's got to, got to make everything in life work out just right, or it isn't just right. We have a God who takes care of us. He says it in verse 32, for the pagans run after these things, all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. In my studies, I found a quote that fits here today. Uh, it's R. Mounts, I think Robert Mounts. Um, Worry is practical atheism and an affront to God. Worry is practical atheism and an affront to God. Practical atheism means, um, you know, I say I believe in God and Jesus is my Savior and, you know, all of this. But I, I fret each day as if, as if he didn't exist. And an affront to God. Have, have you ever been uh, mistrusted by somebody that you love? That somebody who ought to know you better? Like, okay, well, how, how does that feel? It feels like, don't you know me by now? Well, that's what God's saying to us. Don't you know me by now? Worry, practical atheism, an affront to God. Um, we should not question God because God is so big and so good and so powerful and we are his children and he loves us more than we can possibly imagine. So why do we wonder, man, in my time of need, you know, or, or this is something new to me. What's... Your heavenly Father knows that you need them, these things in life. Really? Yes, really. For uh, those of you at Skokie Church, um, forgive me if you've heard this story before. The first sermon I ever heard on the notion of worry was from my best friend when I was 17 years old. His name was Calvin. He's a pagan. We're talking about pagans here. He would have told you, I'm a pagan and proud of it. I was a new Christian. Um, I was fretting about something, and it wasn't the necessities of life. I lived at home and ate, you know, ate off my parents. It, wasn't about, it was probably about how we're going to waste another evening or something. Okay? But I was fretting and going back and forth out loud, and he said, don't worry, Marion. The Lord will take care of it. He was mocking me. 
because I'm the one that said, I have faith. Oh, I'm saved now. I'm, I'm, I belong to Jesus now, and I go to church now. And all. He, he was mocking me. Um, he, he was pagan, proud of it, and he was saying, don't worry, Marian, the Lord will take care of it. And it's one of the few uh, sermons I remember, actually. And that was 39 years ago, from the mouth of a pagan. So says Jesus, dump the worry, get rid of the worry, and replace it with what? With faith, with trust? Yes, but an active faith and trust. Verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Okay? So pagans run after necessities, scared that they might run out. Believers seek first, as a primary importance, the kingdom and righteousness of God. I don't usually title my sermons, but if I gave this one a title, it would be something like this. Thus saith the Lord, you do your job and I'll do mine. What's our job as believers, as followers of Jesus, as disciples, as citizens of the kingdom? It's to live out our faith every day of our lives. In Paul's words, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In Jesus' words in this passage, seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Remember how he taught us to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. How? In great glory and all of that? Yes. But before that, your kingdom come into my heart and make me the kind of person you want me to be. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in my life as it is in heaven. Yeah, his kingdom, his rule. Obedience, his will in my life, in the life of the church, in the life of this church. What is his righteousness by which we measure and define our lives? Uh, that rule our thoughts, our words, and our actions? Remember, we're in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's highlight a few things from the beginning. Uh, how are we to be? Poor in spirit. We are to be mourners, people who mourn for sin, but not me just mourning for your sin, but me mourning for my own sin because it displeases God. To be meek, to be merciful, to be pure in heart. To hunger, to have a gnawing hunger for righteousness. To be free from the desire to be applauded by men for my show of piety or my show of good works, but to do plenty of good works every chance we get. Not to be seen by men, but in order that we may help other men in their lives. We are to be honest and dependable, to keep our promises. We're to be useful like salt, revealing as light, not religious, but holy, not vaguely spiritual, but godly and obedient to him. Okay. To prove by how we spend our time, our energy, our money, how we use our gifts, that we value the Lord and his kingdom above all. Remember the sermon title, Thus saith the Lord, you do your job, I'll do mine. Says the Lord, your job, seek his kingdom and righteousness. My job, to add all these things to you that you need. Now, if you were to put your money on it, 
Would you bet on God? Or would you bet on any of us always to fulfill the promise? Would you put your trust in me or in God always to keep my promise and my word? When I think of all the most reliable people I know, I say, yeah, God still wins, doesn't he? But we need to be reminded of that. Remember, Jesus spoke to a group of people early in his ministry. They were Israelites. They were Jews. They should have had a good idea of God's faithfulness and God's provision after all their whole history, the, the, the wilderness wanderings where they got manna every day, where they got pillar of cloud and pillar of fire every day and every night to guide them. Their shoes did not wear out. When they ran out of water, God provided water. When they ran out of food, he sent manna and meat. But still, they were early, and we need to give them a break. What about us? What do we know about the faithfulness and the love and the provision of God? We know that he sent his son, God in the flesh, to become the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And if he did that, don't you think he might be able to do the rest? Romans 8.32, he, he who did not spare his own but gave him up for us all, how will he not, along with him, Give us all things, all things that we need, not just food, not just clothing, not just to keep body and soul together, but, but he gives us guidance. He gives us comfort. He gives us uh, correction when we need correction. He gives us everything we need. Sometimes it's miraculous, can you say, unexpected. Sometimes it's through the body of Christ here. I mean, most of, our, most of our encouragement come from each other. Peter says, divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Will we trust him? Let's pray. We thank you, Father in heaven. For this reminder that you are there all the time. We are in your hands all the time. You love us all the time. You care for us all the time. You don't sleep. You don't slumber. You don't get tired. You don't get apathetic. You don't forget. We do, but you don't. We don't want to be called little faith people. We want to be called big faith people. And we ask your help. Amen.